It uh, seems like forever since we were here last. Uh, a lot has happened in between now and then. We've been uh, <laughs> incredibly busy, to say the least, trying to finish up a ministry well and, and then not get too far ahead of ourselves starting here. And so our last month has been riddled with, you name it, it's happened. We finished up a vacation Bible school, and uh, normally at our, at our church we had about, uh, this year we had 310 people in VBS. And so it was a massive undertaking, about uh, 65 of them were uh, youth age, 6th to 12th grade. And uh, when I got to the church, they said, we want you to teach the youth vacation Bible school. And I said, youth don't come to vacation Bible school. I said, that's that's not going to happen. And so we had maybe 40, and then the next year 50, and then 60, and so it just, it kept growing. But uh, I tell you, vacation Bible school is one of my favorite times of the year to uh, to get the gospel to parents who have never heard it before. I tell you, it's all worth it. Then we, so we finished up Vacation Bible School, and, and my thoughts were that we'd be able to pack. And then last week, we had a mission trip, and I thought we'd be able to move right after the mission trip, which didn't happen. Uh, we've got one more child added to the mix on this move, and so he has a lot of stuff in and of himself. And so we've been busy. We just finished up a, a mission trip in Shelby, North Carolina, with our students back home. And uh, while we were in Shelby, uh, we had a bit of a youth pastor disaster happen. Uh, we get to this, I, I run a construction team on this mission trip. And uh, so normally they send us out, I bring all my tools and we go build something. Well, this year there was a basketball court that had been abandoned that was outside. It had been abandoned for maybe 10 years or so. And uh, there were trees growing up in it. There was ivy all over the place. And so we jump in and uh, we start cleaning out this basketball court. Well, about two days in, some of the students, I had 10 students with me that were on my particular team, four of which were from a different church and six were from our church. And so these boys, they say, that's poison ivy. And I said, okay, I'll I'll listen to you. Show me where the poison ivy is. And they said, that's it right there. And so I did what any, uh, any smart guy would do. I grabbed my phone and I Wikipedia poison ivy. And I hold my phone up to the poison ivy, and I said, does that look like it to you? And they were like, no, that's not poison ivy. So I said, okay. So I called the guys around, and I said, here's the plan. Y'all need to stop being a bunch of sissies, and you need to get in there and clean that, that stuff out. <laughs> and so so that's what they do. They jump in with both feet. They start cleaning it out. And that night, they start the itching. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And so Wednesday night, uh, we get them covered in, well, not we, uh, we makes it sound like there's more than one of us responsible. I get them covered in poison ivy on Wednesday night. But the interesting thing is, is it was only the four boys that weren't from our church that got the poison ivy. And so we show, we show up back to the camp at the night and, uh, I avoided their youth pastor at all costs because it looked like, it looked like I sent them into the poison ivy and kept all of ours safe. Well, uh, one of their boys actually has to go home early on uh, Thursday morning because he had it all over his face and it was just everywhere. And uh, so he was complaining. And, and in the back of my mind, I thought, he's probably overreacting. And uh, so Thursday we go out and we clean all day. And, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't think much of it because only they got it. So we thought maybe it was contained into one area where they were working. Well, Thursday I get back and I've got it all over me too. And so I'm uh, preaching to you on steroids this morning, trying to get rid of this stuff because uh, everything outside of shorts and t-shirts is, uh, is poison ivy. And uh, so I think that this week I'm going to have to go get more because the doggone stuff won't go away. And so the boys weren't, uh, they weren't faking, they're serious. 
now I see why you uh, older men always do work in long pants and long sleeves and gloves. Uh, it's not... It's wisdom is what it is. And from now on, from now on, I'm right there behind you. And so that's kind of been our, that's been our week amidst, uh, amidst all the chaos of packing up and everything else. Uh, it's been, it's been, uh, something to say the least. Uh, so what I want to do this week is I want to, I want to take a step back from, uh, I'm not sure exactly what you're used to, but one of the things that presses on my heart is that it, uh, it drives me wild when I go to church and I leave church and I leave with the question, so what? I've heard the message. I've heard what God has to say. So what? What do I do with it? Why do we do what we do? Uh, is one of the looming questions that's always in the back of my mind. Uh, I have uh, given my life to the church, so to speak. Uh, I'm, I'm a pastor and my heart beats for the church. Not just this church, but every church. Uh, my heart's desire is to see the church be what Christ intended it to be and to succeed. And if the church is actually the church, lives will be changed radically for the gospel. And so if we just do church just for the sake of coming into a pretty building with nice glass, nice carpet and comfortable seats, we've missed it. And so what I want to do for about the next month is I want to talk about the church. And I want to talk about one statement this morning that we're going to build everything off of for the next month. And so, like I said, for the next month, we'll talk about church in general. This week, we're going to, I'm going to take you in Matthew 3, and I'm going to walk you all the way through Matthew 16. So start in Matthew 3, and as you're turning there, I'll open this up in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning. And we ask your blessing on us. God, I pray that you would give us uh, attentive hearts to your word. I pray that you would open our minds to the things that you would tell us. And God, I pray that you would open our wills uh, to be obedient to you. Lord, I pray that we would uh, see great things out of your word. And God, I pray that as we see great things in your word, that we would fall more in love with you each and every day. And God, I pray that as we fall more in love with you each and every day, that our lives would be transformed and we would become more like you. And then as we become more like you, uh, people would see you radiating out of us and they would want what we have. And then we would be able to share with them the life-changing uh, message of your gospel. And so, Lord, uh, be with us today. Guard us and guide us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 3. The book of Matthew is an incredibly interesting book if you've never spent much time studying it. Uh, Matthew, uh, when I first got to seminary, Matthew was my favorite book of the Bible. I took an intro to New Testament class. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. Immediately, I fell in love with it. Then we started going through Mark, and I said, wow, I really like that one too. And then Mark became my favorite. And then Luke, John, Acts, and so on, they all just... Uh, they all just really, I really enjoyed them all once I got studying them. The interesting thing I like about Matthew, though, is that Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. I love the Old Testament. And so Matthew shines a lot of light on what, what the Old Testament is talking about. And so Matthew is written from a viewpoint where Matthew wants you to know who Jesus is. Now, this is going to sound simple, but I need you to stick with me. It's incredibly important that we as a church all are on the same boat as we go forward. And that boat is Jesus. And we need to take a look at exactly who Matthew tells us Jesus is 
And that's the Jesus that we need to follow as we go forward. And so Matthew goes out of his way to tell you exactly who he is. The world, if you notice, in Matthew chapter 1, I'm not going to spend much time there, but at the end of chapter 1, you have the birth of Jesus. Chapter 2 of Matthew, kings from over the world show up at Jesus' birth. And so the world notices that Jesus Christ is born. I've had three children so far. I've never had a king show up. Uh, in all three of my children that have been born, nobody outside of family showed up. Not that no one cared, but they're not as important as the central figure of Jesus. When Jesus is born, the whole world takes notice of what's going on. And the whole world wonders one question. Who is this man? So now we start in Matthew chapter 3 and we're in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him. And a voice from heaven said, I've baptized a lot of people. I've never heard a voice from heaven and lightning on anyone. And this is what John hears. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And so you get the first view here in Matthew that Jesus Christ is God's son. That's how he's introduced to you, and that's how he wants to be known. It's so important that Jesus Christ is God's son that look in the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, and listen to how he's tempted. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The temptation isn't that you're hungry. The temptation is that, are you the son of God? That's incredibly important for Matthew going forward. This is all going to make sense later as we keep going. Verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Verse 6 says this, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. Again, Satan's temptation. If you are the Son of God, then do this. And then he's going to go on to verse 8. Again, Remember, there's three temptations. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And so Satan tempts Jesus three times, saying, if you're the son of God, do this. If you're the son of God, do that. If you're the son of God, I will give you everything that you see if you will worship me. Now listen, the son of God doesn't bow down and worship anyone. Or he's a sellout. And we as a church don't follow a sellout. We follow the Son of God. Amen? Okay, you're not convinced yet. By the end of the sermon, you'll be convinced. I'll promise you. So, now, let's go over to... If you look in the rest of chapter 4, you've got the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount uh, finishes up in chapter 6. 
Actually, it finishes up in chapter 7, verse 28. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the people are amazed by Jesus. They all gather around. Jesus is standing on the mountain. He preaches to them. And then at the end of the sermon, the people kind of look around at each other. And they marvel and they say, what kind of man is this that's teaching us? This man teaches like a man with authority, not like our scribes and Pharisees. And so all of the people endure the whole Sermon on the Mount. And then when they're done, they're perplexed. And they're amazed that Jesus is such a good teacher, and they don't get what he's saying, though. But listen to what happens next. This is in chapter 8. And I want you, as we're going, to see how this book of Matthew flows. So we've just finished the Sermon on the Mount. Now we're in chapter 8, verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher... I will follow you wherever you go. So a teacher of the law comes up to Jesus and he says, he calls Jesus teacher. And he says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, is Jesus just a teacher? No. He's just taught the greatest thing that they've ever heard, but he's not just a teacher. He's more than that. Listen to what he says. He says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Verse 20, Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so the teacher of the law comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replies, The birds have nests and the foxes have holes, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. And at that, the guy leaves. You see, you don't just follow a good teacher if you don't have somewhere to lay your head. If Jesus is just a teacher, he's not worth following wherever he leads. Then another man comes up. This is verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord or master, first let me go and bury my father. So this is normal. Uh, let's say that you have a master and you have a gracious master and you have a, the task of burying your father ahead of you. Now it doesn't, for this context, it doesn't really matter if the, the father was dead and he was just going to uh, take him through his funeral or if the father was old at age and he was going to wait a few years till his father passed away. Then he would follow Jesus. For the sake of this, that's not important right now. But he says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father, which is a reasonable request from your boss or your master. If you have a master and you said, hey, would you mind if I just wait until my father passes away and then I'm going to carry on and we'll go on with business as usual. But for Jesus, that's not enough. Jesus says this, but Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And so Jesus has, has introduced, Matthew has introduced us to Jesus as the son of God and the people don't get it right away. You walk through the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is an incredible teacher at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he comes up to Jesus and he says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus essentially tells him, But I don't have anywhere to lay my head at night. And the guy goes away because it's not worth following a teacher if you don't have anywhere to sleep. Then another man comes up to him and says, Master, first let me bury my father. And Jesus says, No, if you want to follow me, if I'm going to be your master, you're going to have to drop everything and you're going to follow me. And at that, the man's not willing and he goes away also. Then, down in verse 23, after that account, it says, Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, 
Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed. This is the disciples. And they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. The guys realize in the boat that there's something different about Jesus. He's been a good teacher. He's been a good master. He's been full of miracles, but they're not convinced yet. They're wondering, what kind of guy are we around? What kind of guy is this Jesus? And some of you would be probably very well suited just to, sometimes it's nice just to take a step back from life and reflect and say, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? When Jesus works in and around me, what is he about? What's he doing? What is Jesus up to? Is he really who he said he is? Those aren't bad questions to ask. Now let's move on. John, excuse me, we're still in Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. You may think it's strange to to take a step back from life and question who Jesus is. John the Baptist is the greatest prophet that's ever lived. John the Baptist preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist would also say, there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. When Jesus walks on the scene, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist knows as a prophet who Jesus is. Well, John the Baptist finds himself in prison in chapter 11. It says this, chapter 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, what do you think about John? Don't just, don't just be all churchy on me and think, well, he's John the Baptist. This is the Bible. We, we take it at face value. John the Baptist is in prison for preaching Christ. And John the Baptist is getting to be an old man. And John the Baptist sends someone after Jesus. He sends his followers out to Jesus. And he says, ask Jesus this question. Are you the one? Are you the one that we're supposed to follow you? That we're supposed to follow? Or is there one coming after you? It's normal in your Christian life sometimes to have doubts. Now you should have assurance, but it's okay sometimes to reflect and make sure that you're going the right way. And John the Baptist does this. He says, guys, go out and ask Jesus. Are you the one or is there one coming after you? Jesus replied, verse four, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And so Jesus goes back, and whether you realize it or not, he, he kind of recounts the book of Isaiah. And he says, John, you're familiar with the prophets. You're familiar with the scriptures. I'm doing everything that, that I was supposed to do. Blessed are you if you don't fall away on account of me. And so even John, rock-solid Christian, has doubts about Jesus being who he said he was. We keep going. Flip over to chapter 14. 
And you remember Jesus has just calmed the, uh, he's just calmed the storm. Well, the disciples are going to get in another bit of a storm, but this time things are different. Now we've progressed through about two and a half years of Jesus's ministry by now in the last, say, 10 minutes. And, uh, John chapter 14, verse 22 says this. Now we're getting somewhere with all this, so hang on. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now the disciples are starting to pick up on who Jesus is. Now they're starting to realize that Jesus is the Son of God. But if you'll notice that this isn't the climax of the book of Matthew. This is a start. Later in Matthew, Jesus is going to ask the disciples again, who do you say I am? Now, I was in a situation one time uh, when I was in the army overseas, and there was a couple different times where we got ourselves into a, a sticky situation or two, and my friends who were all lost, they would look at me and they would say, I'm convinced that the only reason we're alive is because you're here with us, and for some reason God wants to do something with you, and he saved us because we're next to you. To which I said... Well, then give your life to Christ and he'll save you too. Uh, But they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They were in the heat of the moment and they realized that something miraculous had happened, that they had been saved. And they acknowledged that it was God who did it. But it was in the heat of the moment and you know that those things always don't stick. It's one thing to acknowledge that something great happened. It's another thing to a couple days or a couple years later still acknowledge that same fact and have it be true for yourself. So, naturally, this comes next. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. We're going to camp out here for a while. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied. Now, this is an easy question. If someone comes to you and says, Hey, who do people say Jesus is? It's easy to answer for other people. You ever notice that it's when somebody says, hey, what are the people saying? It's easy to answer for the other people, right? Hey, what's the, uh, what's the news in the church? What are the people saying? Oh, you got an answer then. It's easy to, hey, this is, hey, this is what everybody else is saying. A lot of times when somebody comes to you, they'll come to you and say, hey, uh, this is what I've heard. This is what the people are saying. Relatively easy, relatively uh, uh, unstressful to answer on behalf of somebody else. So Jesus says, hey, who do the people say I am? And the the disciples say, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So that's normal. Uh, Herod had just killed John the Baptist not too long ago. And Herod, 
This is weird. Herod actually thought that Jesus was John the Baptist reincarnated who was maybe coming back to get him for, for killing John the Baptist. That would be bad. Uh, I wouldn't like that very much. Others say that he could be Elijah. Remember, Elijah never died. And uh, some of the Old Testament books prophesy that Elijah is going to have to come back before the Christ comes. And so Jesus has said a lot of incredibly difficult things. And the people don't want to buy into what Jesus says. But if Jesus is the guy preparing the way for the guy, then maybe the people will listen. So they say, okay, you're not the guy. You're just making way for the guy. So we don't have to listen to you yet. So some say he's Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then he turns the tables and says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Now, if Jesus asked this question of you, it would be healthy for you to give it some thought. Who do you say that Jesus is? Are you in the boat and you would call him master? Would you call him teacher? Would you call him a prophet? You know, what would you call him? What would be good for you to say when Jesus asks you the question, who do you say I am? And then Peter, he has one of his better moments, says this. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I'm sure at that point that Jesus cracks a smile and he says, finally, finally, somebody gets it. I am the Christ. I am the son of the living God. Now, just for a minute. If Jesus is the Christ, he's the expected one. Remember, you have all of this side of my Bible that tells you that a deliverer from sin is coming. You have a story of, of creation, fall, restoration, and struggle. And everything gets solved with a guy named Jesus. And Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the anointed one who is to come. He's the prophet. He's the priest. He's the king. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Every single thing that was promised of, a, of the deliverer is Jesus. And so he is the Christ. He's the expected one. Now that carries with it a ton of weight if you're Jewish. Because if you're expecting the one and somebody shows up and says, hey, I'm the one. You do what he says. And you surrender to him. So Peter says, we believe that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Interesting thing here that, that you might not know unless you've ever been to Israel. But this area of Caesarea Philippi that they go to is right near a river. And at Caesarea Philippi, they had an altar set up to these false gods. There was a God, I believe his name was Pan. But anyways, this mountain on Caesarea Philippi is enormous. Uh, it's a giant mountain, but it's not like an average mountain. It's just a giant rock. Have you guys ever been to Stone Mountain, maybe in Georgia? How you're, you're driving through Georgia and it looks like uh, God just had an extra rock. And so he just puts it right down in uh, Stone Mountain, Georgia. Caesarea Philippi is somewhat like that. And so there's just this giant rock protruding out of the hill. And the whole thing is absolutely solid. And then Jesus says this. Peter just finished saying, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies with this. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And so in verse 18, you have, Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter. And Jesus uses a little play on words here in the original language. Peter, Petros, means rock, little rock, like a little river stone, like a little piece of pea gravel. And so Jesus tells Peter, he says, 
you're Peter. You're little rock. Then he uses another name for rock. And he says, you're Peter, little rock. The word he uses for rock the next time is bedrock. If you've ever worked in or around construction, when you prepare the land before you build something, uh, your, your grading quote goes out the window if the graders hit bedrock. This was a normal thing that would happen in the mountains where if you're digging and digging and digging, you can dig anything up with an excavator just about. But when you hit bedrock, it's time to stop digging and you drill and then you blow up the rock and then you dig out blown up rock because you can't move bedrock. It just doesn't move. It doesn't budge. So Jesus says, you're Peter, you're a little rock. And on this bedrock, this statement that you just made, that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church on that statement. Because I am him. And this is what happens. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. If we're going to be a church, if we're going to be a church that follows the will of God, we're not going to be a church that wins people with winsome language or children's programs or all kinds of other fancy dog and pony shows. If you're going to be the church that God wants you to be, God is going to have to reveal himself to people. Churches do things different than businesses do. Churches seek the Lord and they fast and they pray. And they love others like Christ. And that's how the gospel spreads. It's not through all sorts of clever programs that churches grow. It's through prayer and God revealing himself to people. And then people begin to grow. So, blessed are you because you didn't come to this on your own, Simon. But God revealed it to you. And I tell you that you're Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And then he says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The next important thing about the church as we wind down is that if we're going to be a church that God wants us to be, it's not going to be a church that you or I build. God promises that he's the one that builds the church. It's his job. It's not my job. You don't, you don't pay me to build a church. But we together follow Christ and we stand on the statement that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. And we do the things that he says because he's not just a teacher and he's not just a master. He's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. And it's worth it to follow him wherever he says go. Listen, if Jesus is just a teacher, if he's just a master, I stay living where I'm living now. You only pack up shop and move like we're doing if Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and he tells you to do so. Jesus is worth following wherever he says go, and it's worth doing whatever he says to do. And when we do that, he says, I then will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So when we're faithful to him, he's faithful to us, and he does the building. And listen, I don't want to be a part of a church that any man has built. You go into a lot of older churches, and, and there's power struggles. Listen, if a man in the church has power, you have already messed up. And really think about it. Why would you want to have power in a church? The Holy Spirit's supposed to be the one given power. And if we're not operating in his power, then we're wasting our time. Because we don't want to be a part of anything that God himself isn't building. So, in closing, if God builds the church... 
God will bless the church. Uh, I love building things. I love going to Lowe's, buying a stack of lumber, and then making something awesome out of it. Uh, about the time I started talking to the pastor search committee, I had just bought a trailer full of wood to build a treehouse. And uh, I've moved that trailer full of wood to here uh, because once we started talking, it seemed like things were going to work out pretty well. And so I didn't build the treehouse. I waited. And I've been telling my kids, listen, just wait. We're going to build this thing once and for all, one time. And uh, it's going to be awesome when we do it. But we haven't done it yet. And so I'm ready to build a treehouse. And when I build the treehouse, I'm going to be proud of it because I built it. And it's going to be the way that I want it built because I'm in charge of it. But the church is not something that we build. The church is something that God builds. Now, he uses us as builders, but it's important as we move forward that we do it his way and not our way. Sometimes we fall victim to the way things have always been done. And if the way things have always been done are God's way, then they're awesome. But if they're not, every once in a while you need to take a look back and see who Jesus is, see what he wants, and then move forward the way he wants us to go. Amen? And so I'm looking forward to this journey together. Um, appreciate you guys for being attentive. I'm going to close us in prayer, and then Jonathan will lead us uh, in our hymn of invitation. Let's pray together. God, we acknowledge that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We acknowledge that you are the one who created this world, and you are the one who created us. And God, we long to be a part of the bedrock that you're building. Lord, we want to be people who are unified under the statement that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We want to build a church. Excuse me. We want to be a part of a church that you are building and that you are actively blessing. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would be honored by the things that we do. I pray that you would have an active hand uh, in leading this congregation. And God, I pray that uh, when things do get rough, that you would be there to lend us a hand as we go forward. And so, Lord, we give you all the honor and glory and praise for everything that's to come. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. I will close this in prayer. Father, we love you and worship you above everything else. God, we thank you for bringing us together at this appointed hour. God, I pray that as we go through our weeks that we would raise you high. And I pray that the world around us would see that uh, we serve uh, a risen Lord who is indeed uh, Christ, the Son of the living God. So, Lord, go with us throughout our weeks and bring us back at the next appointed hour. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.